The first thing that a Christian should live and die is in Christ. That is how a Christian lives. That is how a Christian dies. Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide Podcast, where if the shoe fits, you wear it. And if the truth hurts, you bear it. I am Justin Gruber. And I am Jesse Gruber. And today we hope you will seize the faith. Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide Podcast. And uh, we're coming to you on this holy week as we are ever approaching Resurrection Sunday. Yeah, I hope you all are having a good Friday, if you know what I mean. Hey, yo. Get it? Because it's Good Friday. Yeah. Yep. I've always pondered how Good Friday, it went black, but then on Black Friday in November, it's a good for businesses. So it's because we live in an upside-down clown world. And Good Friday is black. Anyway, it's good because we are our sins. Well, when you're president, when you're president, when I can just flip those right around. I can be president of the back seat. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Uh, it's good because our sins uh, find atonement in the shed blood of Jesus Christ as he gave himself for us and exchanged our unrighteousness for his righteousness, and that is amazing. What we're talking about is something that our culture, generally speaking, has uh, just completely lost the thread of, and I think uh, as Christians, we need to bring uh, bring this back under the subjection, subjugation of Christ, subjugation to Christ. Uh, under Christ's sovereign hand. Uh, so tonight, our topic and title is Dignity in Death and Hope in Resurrection. Sure is. <laughs> I just thought, uh, yeah, thought you might have something there. I, uh, I, I've been trying to think. A bad, bad pass. I passed br- off there. The brain is so sluggish right now. Boy, is your brain sluggish. Yep. Gonna have to agree. Got a sluggy brain. <laughs> Well, I think you're going to start us off with some quotes from Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. I am. Um, I wanted to kind of connect how we treat death with um, this interesting, it's just such an interesting connection. So uh, Aldous Huxley wrote Brave New World. And in a Brave New World, it's a dystopian future that oddly enough looks just like where we live right now. (laughs) It was his dystopian future. It's our present reality. He thought he was writing something that could be true, but was still fictitious at the time. And now is just true. Um, in in his book, he sets up this dystopian world. They have their own, like basically, department uh, ministry of death and dying, really. Um, and and uh, this is uh, later in the book. This is near the end of the book, and um, you have the interaction of a few characters. So I'm just going to read a little section and then kind of talk, set the scene for you, and then I'll read another section uh, and set set that scene uh, for you. Uh, are you, are you how it connects? It, are you going to read it in a cool voice? No, I'm going to read it in my normal voice, because my normal voice is cool. All right. Okay. I like the confidence. All right, let's go. I have confidence. All right, here we go. So this is coming directly from the book, A Brave New World. The Park Lane Hospital for the Dying was a six-story tower of primrose tiles. As the savage stepped out of his taxicopter, a convoy of gaily colored aerial hearses rose whirring from the roof and darted away across the park westwards, bound for the Slough Crematorium. At the lift gates, the presiding porter gave him the information he required, and he dropped down to Ward 81, a galloping senility ward, the porter explained, on the 17th floor. It was a large room, bright with sunshine and yellow paint, and containing 20 beds, all occupied. Linda was dying in company, in company and with all the modern conveniences. The air was continuously alive with gay synthetic melodies. At the foot of every bed, 
confronting its moribund moribund occupant was a television box. The television was left on, a running tap from morning till night. Every quarter of an hour, the prevailing perfume of the room was automatically changed. We try, explained the nurse, who had taken charge of the savage at the door, we try to create thoroughly pleasant atmospheres here, something between a first-class hotel and a a feely palace, if you take my meaning. Where is she? asked the savage, ignoring these polite explanations. The nurse was offended. You are in a hurry, she said. Is there any hope? he asked. You mean of her not dying? He nodded. No, of course there isn't. When somebody's here, there's no... Startled by the expression of distress on his pale face, she suddenly broke off. Why, whatever is the matter? she asked. She was not accustomed to this kind of thing in visitors. Not that there are many visitors, anyhow, or any reason why there should be any visitors. You're not feeling ill, are you? He shook his head. She's my mother, he said, in a scarcely audible voice. I'll pause here. This gives us all the context uh, that, I, that I think we could need. It's a, there's a lot of words in here that maybe didn't make a lot of sense to you. I would encourage you to read the book. Moribund, meaning one of them. <laughs> Moribund. Mor- Moribund? Man, I really lost. You know, in reading it, when you read it in your mind, it's different than when you try to say the words in, out loud. Yeah, kind of like, <laughs> like that, first, that first truth slap when, you know, it's not like Hermione, it's Hermione. And yeah, like, that's oh, rough. <laughs> That's rough. It's like <laughs> you, you Harry Potter people. You, you all, you've all lived through that. So what's happening in this scene is basically uh, the person that's a well called savage throughout the book is not savage. It's a person who was simply born naturally to a woman. But this doesn't happen in a bra- in Brave New World in the setting in Brave New World. Everyone is literally related in some way. They're all made in test tubes. There are no mothers or fathers. And so what we have here is a place where people are taken to die, and then their body is cremated, and the cremation is used as an energy source as well. Not unlike we do with fetuses. And so, um, aborted babies. <clears throat> Didn't want to pass that opportunity, that opportunity to talk about abortion. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Well, if we're going to um, slap it, let's so, slap it out of the park. So, uh, so what's basically happening here is this nurse is not used to someone actually caring about someone that's dying. She's not used to the fact that this person has a has a familial connection because they don't exist anymore. No one cares if someone else dies in that they are all related only so much as they share genetic material, the best genetic material available for whatever caste they were supposed to be placed in. This is this is the scene of death for them. They create environments through sensory smells and sights and sounds that would be pleasant so that the person dying doesn't know they're dying. You would also find out they drug them a lot so they don't know what's going on. And that's the general space of of death for them. You die here, you get taken to the crematorium, you get used for energy and reconstituted into bits. Yeah, but that sounds just like what we do. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but here's... Actually... <clears throat> It gets a little worse. <laughs> Does this also correspond with reality? <laughs> uh, to to an extent, and I'll make a connection here. But this is this is where I think you get you see what what they're not used to is the emotion of someone who lovingly cares for the person that is dying because it's no longer a part of of the society. That relationship does not exist for people. So a little further into the scene, he's now at the bedside of his dying mother who is 
lost any tenable grip on the the real world uh, and is in a drugged stupor, more or less. I'll pick it up at this paragraph. It says this. A sudden noise of shrill voices made him, made him open his eyes, and after hastily brushing away the tears, look around. What seemed an inter- interminable stream of identical eight-year-old male twins was pouring into the room. Twin after twin after twin after twin they came, a nightmare. Their faces, their repeated face, for there was only one between a lot of them, puggishly stared, all nostrils and pale, goggling eyes. Their uniform was khaki. All their mouths hung open, squealing and chattering. They entered. In a moment, it seemed, the ward was maggoty with them. They swarmed between the beds, clambered over, crawled under, peeped into the television boxes, made faces at the patients. Linda, that's the savage's mother, astonished and rather alarmed them. A group stood stood clustered at the foot of her bed, staring with the frightened and stupid curiosity of animals suddenly confronted by the unknown. Oh, look, look, they spoke in low, scared voices. Whatever is the matter with her? Why is she so fat? They had never seen a face like hers before. Had never seen a face that was not youthful and taut-skinned, a body that had ceased to be slim and upright. All these moribund sexagenarians and the appearance of childish girls at 44, Linda seemed, by contrast, a monster of flaccid and distorted senility. Isn't she awful? came the whispered comments. Look at her teeth. Suddenly, from under the bed, a pug-faced twin popped up between John's chair, that's the savage, and the wall and began peering into Linda's sleeping face. I say, he began, but the sentence ended prematurely in a squeal. The savage had seized him by the collar, lifted him clear over the chair, and with a smart box on the ears, sent him howling away. His yells brought the head nurse hurrying to the rescue. What have you been doing to him, she demanded fiercely. I won't have you striking the children. Well, then keep them away from this bed. The savage's voice was trembling with indignation. What are these filthy little brats doing here at all? It's disgraceful. "'Disgraceful? But what do you mean? "'They're being death-conditioned. "'And I tell you,' she warned him truculently, "'if I have any more of your interference with their conditioning, "'I'll send for the porters and have you thrown out.' "'The savage rose to his feet, took a couple steps towards her. "'His movements and the expressions of his face were so menacing "'that the nurse fell back in terror. "'With a great effort, he checked himself, "'and without speaking, turned away and sat down by the bed. "'What we have here in this scene is (laughs) literally death-conditioning.' They they condition all the children to the different things they want. They they condition the children in Brave New World uh, to, at very young ages, touch each other inappropriately. I mean, it's kind of like what we do now. And then they... Okay, con- groomer. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and, and, and here they're conditioning to them to death. Well, they've never seen someone like John's mother, the savage's mother, because she's actually aged. In their culture, they take drugs, they have all these things, they always look perpetually youthful, even when they die at 60. Everybody just dies at 60. Um, but they die young, very, looking very young, very active. And so they'd never seen anybody like that. And, and the sap, this, this man, John, he will, not, he will not tolerate them insulting his mother. He calls it disgraceful that these children would be treating death this way. Uh, and this whole picture for me really paints it clearly because in their culture, they do not have a place to understand what it would mean to actually die in a dignified way. It has become something that it simply occurs. It is a cold and clinical thing. You die and you are you are used one final time and then you're gone. And that's it. There's no more. No one cares. You're not remembered. You're just one more cog in an ever-expanding machine. And for me, reading A Brave New World was only shocking in that 
I don't. I think it, it it puts it makes you very uncomfortable with what you're actually seeing happen, and it's it's good. It puts you in an uncomfortable spot, and I think we need to be uncomfortable when we approach the topic of death and dying because we treat it in a in a haphazard manner, and I think it's actually something that is supposed to be dignified for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let's examine this idea today, and I wanted to start with first. How do we, in our culture, in our, in our modern times, in this Western world, how do we treat death? How do you feel we treat, je- we treat death there, Jesse? Um, well, uh, I mean, I talked a little bit about it in a, one of the sermons that I recently did. Um, just the idea, and we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, so none of, this, none of this is a surprise to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's like when the author has this knowledge and he lets you in on it as the reader, but the people in the story don't know. There's like a perspective name for that. I forget what it is. Omniscient. Drop it in the comments. Yeah, I oh, think you're right, actually. I, I'm um, absolutely positive. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Carry on. But yeah, so um, I was talking about um, you know, the death penalty for um, the Israelites touching the base of Mount Sinai. And um, was just kind of musing for a second on the fact that we don't we don't like to talk about death. We don't like to deal with the reality of sin's consequence being death, and especially not the idea of capital punishment. And uh, one of the things that I mentioned then is that we prefer death to be far away. We like our wars fought overseas. Um, we like our elderly to be put. Uh, far away in nursing homes and uh, outside of the home somewhere where other people will care for them and we do not have to. We can live our lives and just kind of put put death off um, so that we don't have to think about it because, you know, we're busy. We don't need to, we don't need, to, you know, life's inconvenient enough, you know, we don't need the added stress of worrying about, you know, our dying family member. So Yeah, we created a whole industry around it, really. Uh, whole floors of hospitals, nursing homes, a whole, whole all these places where people can people that have become old and and have uh, difficult to care for we put them far away and and geez, just pray that when we remember to visit them from time to time um and and there's something oh there's just it doesn't when you say it out loud when you when you start to actually think about it it becomes um it becomes really really just it could disgusting it, there's a there's like a, a visceral reaction that i have um we didn't even mention the death penalty in here um probably could talk about it i guess maybe at some point there's there's also something to be said about the well i mean you, yeah i mean and and the gentleman in your in the story the little gentleman in your little story no i mean the the character <clears throat> had a visceral reaction to to it as well right he's and, caring he, for this person stood and stood up and didn't. became aggressive yep Yep, <clears throat> that was a wonderful way that, that they worded that. Actually, that with the what did what they say with a great deal of uh, <laughs> he he uses a lot of really great words. Yeah, uh, it was fantastic that he that he actually calmed himself down and, and tempered himself. His movements and expressions on his face were so menacing that the nurse fell back in terror, and with a great effort, he checked yes, himself. With a great effort, yeah, <laughs> he checked himself. Yeah, um, painted a really good picture in my mind. Yeah, at the at the at the in the what was clear indignity of these small children 
who were being conditioned to treat death with not a care in the world. So there would be no, there's no fear of death. Why fear it? There's no worry. And that's kind of where the death penalty comes in. Um, there's something very focusing about knowing you will be, you, you are going to die. Um, we see it in movies and characters we know that are going to die, that are sacrificing themselves. There's something that is singularly focusing. And it is a very sure and real thing uh, for people that are approaching death to be much more singularly focused. Um, all the more truth with the death penalty, although we've turned it into something that is so arduously and laboriously borne out. There is no swiftness to it that would bring about that sing- that, that focusing of the mind. Um, it's Anyway, let's see here or there. Um, but there can be something in it that's very practical. It does focus the mind uh, on, on things that are incredibly immensely important, like what does it mean that your life will end? What is next? These are important questions that God would like us to always remember. <laughs> anyway, there's there's two other ways I think that, that, that we can kind of look at it. Uh, death in our culture is looked at as something that's sad but clinical. It's It's very sad that people die, but they do. They die. Death, death is a fact of life. And then, I mean, could could you could you state that as kind of just a a, a purely uh, oh man, I just had the word in my head, uh, a purely biological event? You know? Yeah, I mean that's 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 kind of where I'm going with that. And yeah. it, it is sad. You're sad that someone's gone, but you knew they were going to die. And then there's people that that take the opposite part approach in the beginning, and they become incredibly dramatic about it. Um, they over emotionalize it. And they they carry it with them forever, um, and instead of letting a memory be something that is um, fond and and hopeful and helpful, uh, it becomes something that is actually a burden. So I think there's there's, yeah. there's ways in that which that happens as well. Um, but still, it's the majority of death happens so far away that we're only ever there for a minute of it anyway. Yeah, because we just push it, push it, push it over there. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to see it. We don't want to. We don't want to know that it's actually happening. Like it happened all around us today, but we were completely ignorant of it. And then some people treat it as something that's kind of gross. It's icky and it's undignified. Everything about death is, it's it's uh, it's all a it's all a burden and and everything that happens to you as you die is just such such an un, such an undignified thing uh, that it shouldn't be talked about and and. And in that, in all of these ways, we take death and don't put it where where it should be. It doesn't it doesn't carry one the weight that it's it should have on each and every person, including the person that does that is dying, which happens to be every last one of us right now. We are all moving towards a, a day when uh, we are all less alive today, uh, physically than we were yesterday. <laughs> it's just absolutely true. Um, and you, we you just blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> but it's true. And we treat death by pushing it so far away and not looking at it. And, and it, we ignore the fact that it is. it literally was happening. It was happening near you today, but it was happening out of sight. And since because it was out of sight, we didn't address once our mortality today. Maybe you had a close shave for half a second when you were driving your car and that guy cut you off. Maybe you had a close and for half a second, you're like, wow, that was a close one and moved right past it. <laughs> But what would it be like if instead death was close, if we interacted and saw it in a real way uh, much more consistently? I think it would be a dramatic difference. Don't you? Well, yeah. I mean, it's there's there's a lot. I mean, 
ironically, you know, one of the things that I appreciate uh, the most, like about uh, either historical films or or stuff like that, is just how close death was to people at all times. You know, like um, I remember watching the uh, the HBO series on John Adams, and just when when he was off uh, doing the Congress thing, um, and you know his what was his wife's name Abigail um, That's was was on the farmstead with with the children and there was smallpox or whatever it was either it was either smallpox I think it was smallpox anyway um but just just how you know we we think we're afraid of covid right well some people think they're afraid of covid you know but but the reality people are very much afraid of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the reality of the reality of the mortality rate of, of, of smallpox especially smallpox in the 1700s um you know, it's is is imminent and heavy and weighty, and you know the family comes down with it, and they're 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 dealing with, you know, Abigail's there dealing with her sick children, wondering whether or not they're going to live or whether or not they're going to die, and 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 how to care for that. You know, um, it it really does. I I think dealing with the reality of death, being in proximity of death, really does shape and change how you live. Uh, I I really really think that, and I think that that's why that's part of part of the reason why our culture is is so flippant about so many things. Um, you know, I'm I'm an ER nurse. I I see death uh, at least weekly, if not daily, depending on the week. Um, you, you know, and and all of these different ways that that you've described are 100% accurate. You know, as, as far as it we liking it to be far away, uh, the clinical, you know, just kind of cut and dry. And then the, the undignified aspects of it, I, I've seen it all. I've seen it all in the ER and, um, you know, but, but just having death so far away really does make us forget, um, about the fleeting nature of life, about how important life is. It really forget it. It really causes us to forget, um, just about how you know, important our time is and, and really dealing with, uh, it was a, it was a great question, you know, like, did you think about your mortality today and how, and how you were spending your life? Um, it really is an interesting question because when you said that I immediately tried to think, uh, no, no, I, I personally did not handle anything, any topic about my mortality today. Um, it's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy thing to think about. We we're so blessed and privileged, um, to not have to deal with that, but but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's something as far as the tr- our treatment of death. I think in the three ways that you that we've uh, laid out here, I think that there's a, a purposeful nature to that. Um, we purposefully try to put it far away, um, and, and then some of, some of these other you know ways we try to just make ourselves feel a little better um, about the harsh reality of death. But we certainly don't like to interact with it. Um, I don't know what else to say about that. No, I think I, I, I was an excellent excellent summation of where we're at and um i think i think the next thing that you do is if that's what our culture this is how we we bring death to the the its proper space inside of our world is to is to think about what death is inside of god's economy like where does it fit in with what god calls us to do to live to be Uh, and so you have to start asking yourself what is death what is death as God defines it. Yeah. I, I think real quick before we, before mm-hmm. we jump into that one yeah, thing yeah. I wanted to mention earlier that I forgot about until just this very moment, um, is, is the reason, right? The reason the character in that story had that visceral reaction, um, is because 
human beings are made in the image of God. There is, there is that Imago Dei identification um, that makes us feel icky about death. I mean, death is, well, dang, it's the first point. Death is the result of sin, as we're, as we're about to read from Romans 6. But, but it, death is a, is a harsh spiritual reality as well. And not only do we have to deal with our own mortality, we also have to deal with our own sinful brokenness. But, but yeah, like the, the reason that death, that death matters, the reason that we're talking about death is because we as human beings are made in the image of God. And, and when, when somebody dies, it, it means something, there is weight to it. And we need to, we need to just stop and pause and address that. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to make the Imago Dei connection. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the, one of the very interesting things about the story in a brave new world is it's setting up, it's juxtaposing this, this culture where no one has that relationship, uh, uh, a strong passion or love yeah. uh, for anyone. I mean, the, the nurse, the nurse was, <laughs> the nurse was just treating his mother like a clump of cells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's correct. Well, that's all, yeah. that's all anybody there mm-hmm. is. Yeah. That's why kids can walk through and poke and touch and pull because they're just to become, they're supposed to just see this as, oh, this is just what happens to you when you when you reach the end of your life, and it's not a big deal. Who cares? You know, we don't know these people. You know, they're just strangers to us. They're not. They're not anything to us. They did a job. You know, that's all. That's all they really performed for the particular society, and now they're gone. And so he treated her as if she had a value. That is what the Imago Dei brings to yep. us. And we can see that they, we, we've war against death because we can tell there's something wrong. Uh, it's why we know that there, that's why, you know, when the world does op- actually identify rightly sins, like like murder, right? Murder. <laughs> when we rightly identify those things, it's because that's the Imago Dei kicking in and saying this is this is objectively wrong because we have been made with value and worth because we are image bearers. Uh, so jumping in then, as you just walked us to, um, what is death inside of God's economy? Well, one, it's the result of sin, right? And Romans six twenty three tells us for the wages of sin is death. death. <laughs> Literally when you sin, you, your, your payment, the payment you receive is death. And so death comes about as a result of sin without sin. There is no death. And so when Christ is murdered, his physical body ceases to live, but it could not possibly stay dead because he had no sin. Sin. That's why he could carry all the sins of the rest of the world with him to the grave where they remain for those who are in Christ. Amen. Amen and hallelujah. Amen and hallelujah on this the this this holy week uh, good Friday, approaching Resurrection Sunday. A always a good thing to remember. Um, what <laughs> I was thinking, like you know, I was thinking as you as you contemplate your plans for this weekend, just just imagine how Jesus spent his. Okay, <laughs> just, just, that's what that's what this day is supposed to be. That's what Good Friday used to be. It used to be, you know what? There was a time. There was a time in this country back when I. <laughs> Remember there was a time stuff? in this country when you ceased doing anything for three hours. I know a business locally that closes for three hours on Good Friday to represent the time in which Jesus had been on the cross when he was dying for the sins of the world. They are closed on Good Friday. Oh, that's pretty cool, actually. It is. And that used to be how we treated this day in our culture, and now we don't and care you know about what? We will we, not, now we hate God. We will not fill any shirt orders from, what is it, 12 to 3? 
Yeah, no, I, I think we can make that commitment. Yep, let's. I commit to that. <laughs> I I fully commit us to that. That's excellent. I like that commitment. I wonder if you can say that like to UPS for a religious uh, religious observance. They, I, honestly, as long as I finished the day and I wasn't getting paid for those three hours, they probably wouldn't care. <laughs> that is true. Well, it's the bottom. Anyway, line. it's the bottom line here, people. It's all um, about the bottom line. It sure is. Anyway, um, the next thing that death is in God's economy is it's an enemy that is defeated. Yay! Yay! Uh, we'll go back to Isaiah twenty-five. And we'll, there was much rejoicing, <laughs> and the peasants rejoiced. Isaiah twenty-five verse eight says this: "Approach of his people, he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken." And that is a fire verse. Uh, it is uh, swallowed up. Literally, the Lord swallows death up. How will he do that? It will be in some form of righteous glory, and it will be amazing. But that is how God will do it. He will wipe away tears. Oh, I'll, I'll death, tell you the how. Suffering caused by by sin will be no. So it is an enemy that is defeated. Romans five seventeen additionally tells us this. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Death is something to be defeated. Now it is already lost, uh, but the battle that we are in right now, we are called to faithfully walk through it is already is already lost it is defeated but it will be finally defeated uh when christ when the fullness of christ comes yay yay it's that uh already not yet tension that's right? correct the already not yet uh one, one one other thing that death is in god's economy is it is the gracious end of the temporal struggle of a saint that's the one that we don't think about i think we understand that sin is that that death is a result of sin. I think we know that it is defeated uh, in in the resurrected Christ. Uh, that that God had always had always designed death to be swallowed up. That He would indeed bring about a salvation, uh, the imputed righteousness that would allow uh, His children to always live with Him uh, in heaven. He He had always known this. We and and we we are connected to that. It's one of those truths that we we run to. We know it. But but we don't consider that death is actually a gracious end of the temporal struggle of a saint. Psalm one sixteen fifteen says this: "Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones." Mm. And and this verse connects us to a very important truth. There is there is a reality of the removal of Adam and Eve from the garden. Specifically, it is stated so they would not they would not access the tree of life as they had eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and brought death onto themselves for the first time. Had they eaten of the tree of life, uh, which was simply translated from the Garden of Eden into heaven, we, will, we, we in Christ will see the tree of life yet again. But precious in the sight is the death of his godly ones. Uh, the reality of sin bringing death without access to that tree of life so that there would not be a living in sin that would not end. Death what a, what a for huge those, yeah, so seriously, so good for those that are in Christ. Death is not victorious. Even the death of the temp, this temporal sin plagued body, right? This this mud puppet, as it is, this <laughs> dust bucket. That's all this is. Oh. <laughs> and when and when when death comes, it is actually for those in Christ. It's not something that is final. Rather, it is a releasing uh, of of the spirit from its its temporal flesh, and and. 
that was infected with sin, we will be given a new body. This one was will not last. It's busted by sin. Yeah, there's a, there is a beautiful metaphor. Uh, I, I will also link this in the show notes. Uh, one of my favorite songs by the band My Epic uh, is called Perfector, and it's a it's a song that deals with death. And uh, right at the beginning of the song, uh, I will not sing it, but I will quote it. Um, he says, "Death is just a hook behind the door where I leave my dirty clothes." I, I think it's such a beautiful, it's just such a beautiful picture. You, you get this image of somebody walking through a door and just hanging up, hanging up their, their sinful, broken, their sinful, broken garments and just entering into glory. It is, it is, it is a really beautiful and, and impactful picture. It's a beautiful, impactful song. I will link it. You should listen to it. It is not it. metal. It is a, it is a nice song. Yeah. Focus on, well, the, it's metal focus on the words. But yeah, anyway. It's not like Screamo. You'll be able to hear the words. <laughs> right, the word, right. They're, so, yeah. they're, they do write really, uh, really into like deeply meaningful songs. Impactful. So I would tell you to definitely listen to the words from from that song. Um in this we have what I think is the crux of the matter. This is the hinge pin of the discussion. Oh my gosh, crux of the matter on Good Friday. <laughs> oh, wow, crux of the I see cross. what you I see what you did there. Oh man. What's the crux just? All right, the crux here uh is that if if the death of a saint is precious in the sight of the Lord, then we shouldn't push death where we put it we we shouldn't place death over there because death for a saint is precious in the sight of god why should it be anything less to his people that is a great question it is a great question um and and since it is a grace that this temporal sin infested flesh would not last forever why do we treat it as if we must not look or see it, as if it should not be something that we interact with? Uh, because it's icky. <laughs> because we know that we struggle against it, yet in Christ it is not victorious. I think, I think that's what we forget. I think we forget that while sin brings death, Christ brings life. John 1, four says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Christ brings life, and the death of a saint shines the life that Christ brings for men to see. That That is why I think we need to really adjust our focus on what the end of life actually looks like. Yeah, um, that, that really makes me think of, uh, it really makes me think of uh, Grandpa Gruber's funeral, which was just a, a a crazy. I mean, I, I was I was a teenager. Were you a teenager at the time? No, I was were, seven years older than you. Well, what year? If you no, were, you had just gotten married. Yes, so that that puts me at twenty two. Yeah. So anyway, um, but I mean, just the the massive amount of people that he impacted. Um, it's actually not true. He died just before we got married. Yeah, just two, before. Two but it was the year. It was yes, the year. Correct. Marriage, it was two months before we got married. <clears throat> but um, just the just the. I think it was two days. I think it was like a two-day viewing. It was insane, um, the impact that, that our grandfather had. And um, I, I was just thinking today, as as we were walking towards this topic, I was just thinking today, like, you know, um, I, I think our dads, if if anyone, our, our father could, could possibly beat that. And then I was just thinking love- of, of our, our, our children and our children's children just, you know... Who can have who can have the biggest funeral? Who can have the most I, impact? I talked about this with, and this is probably exactly how it was for Grandpa Carl. I talked about this with Dad the other day, and I said, you know, you're probably going to have we're going to have to, you know, 
run a baseball stadium for you too. He's like, no, I didn't. I didn't impact people like that. And I didn't impact that many people. I'm like, that's exactly such a Gruber thing. Right? (laughs) Such a Gruber thing to say. That's what Grandpa Carl thought. Grandpa Carl didn't know that he impacted that many people. But the 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 random people talking to people in that line, a line that stretched from the front of the side. It's a pretty good sized sanctuary down around the side, out into the lobby, all (sighs) snaking out in the lobby for hours of people coming to simply. Uh, honor the memory of of Grandpa Carl, and uh, that was that was intense. It, oh, I met. He used to fix. He used to fix my lawnmower. Yeah, and, yeah. and he wouldn't let me get out of there without talking about you know how my wife was, and and it just all the little stories. People he met on on trips to to Canada. People he met at at, at, at out in Lancaster. People, I mean, just so many people from from all across, and they they came, and uh, and that is that is something that is so. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. That light, right? Yeah. That, that yep. life that Christ That's had. That's the connecting point. Thank yep. you. I was like, that, wait, why the, did I say that? It's <laughs> the light. It's that life that Christ gives that brings light to men. So this leads us to naturally to the question is how then does a Christian live and die? How, how do we, how should we For see? Glory For glory and honor. Yes, glory and honor. For Scotland. <laughs> Oh no! Sorry. All right, Wallace, you went a little far there. <laughs> <laughs> Grab your claymore and blue and blue body paint. Let us go. <laughs> uh, now the first, so the first thing, the first thing uh, that a Christian should live and die is in Christ. That is how a Christian lives. That is how a Christian dies in Christ. Yeah, I mean the the importance of o, the importance of obedience in the life of a Christian is is just such a huge thing. I mean, with without the fruit, without the fruit, uh, the fruit is the indicator of our of our inward, you know, reality. And and so when when we live in Christ, we live a life um, that is in obedience to Christ. And as we as we do that, and as the Spirit sanctifies us, we become more and more like Christ. And then. Um, there are many who are called to sacrifice uh, everything, sacrifice their liberties, their families, their, and even their lives. And so when we talk about uh, living as Christ, we live as, we live as, as obedient servants of him, uh, and then we die as, as faithful servants to him. Um, you know, we, the last thing we want is to have misrepresented Christ um, on this earth, uh, any more than, uh, our base sin makes necessary. Um, we want to bring glory and honor to him. Uh, and we want to die in, in light of, in light of that. We want to die far more sanctified than we, uh, began our new life in Christ for sure. Absolutely. It's why people, I mean, you think about it, people that are killed in action, people, people search for their bodies for years because it is important to, to allow, someone to be honored and and dignified in death we can't waste these opportunities and so if we're to die in christ one of the other things that we have to do as a christian is to live and die together in community right there's a there's a there's a family of birth and the family of new birth and we die as a christian together and and that's one of the things ultimately we have to change our focus now because when 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 my parents die, their their ability to die together in a community is not going to be dependent upon them. It's going to be dependent upon me, who is alive and is caring for them, right? And so that's something that we have to have a generational connection to. 
Um, uh, the, the idea, one of the things, I believe it was, I believe this was from the briefing on Albert, Albert Muller's podcast. He was talking about the nuclear family. I can't remember if it was today or a few days ago. And just the concept of the nuclear family is is something that's very modern. Um, it's a concept that really had, has its basis in marketing. A, you know, a, a mother, a father, a, a daughter, a son, you know, having a home, having a, you know, a little, having all these connections in a nuclear family mentality. But the family in the Bible is a generational family. It is legacy. It is, it is, it is, I mean, we see it, we see it in the, in the life of, in the life of Christ in, in, in the gospels, the, the lineage is forever. It goes through all the way back to Abraham where we're seeing this lineage and it mattered generationally. It mattered, right? Who had begat, who had begat, who had begat, who it mattered, and so we live, we live and die together in community. And so that means I have to purpose to make sure that my, my mother and father will die with the dignity of a faithfully lived Christian life in community. And that means I need my kids. I need those that come after me, right, to, to, to seek out that I would live and die together in community. It's important because, right, we don't live and die, number three, for ourselves, we live and die for others, it is not for ourselves that we are to live. We're to live for others. And so our death must also be seen as something for others. Yeah. I mean, we have to model our death after Christ. I mean, Christ, Jesus Christ, he and of himself is is the ultimate picture of what sacrifice looks like for Amen. us. Amen. We, we should not uh, really ever have to wonder, well, what does it look like to sacrifice uh, in, in my life? Okay, well... Listen, the, the God whom you serve, that, that's, that's yes. where, that's where you look. Atoning for the sins of the yeah, world. Right, yeah. Well, you, we, we, we can't do good that. Friday. We, we can't do that. That's we, what he we did. Can't yes, do right, right, right. That's what he did. But, but to, live, to live a Christian life is to live a life that's poured out. And, um, you know, that, that means that when we consider things in our lives that, that are big things, you know, we live in um, New Jersey. Um, <laughs> and, and so we have to consider... Uh, when is the right time to leave New Jersey? But but ministry comes first. Wait, it in, comes first in death when you or just in general. In general, oh okay. Um, uh, you know, but I'm I'm talking about how ministry. I'm talking. I'm talking about how ministry helps us to pour our lives out for others. Justin, that's that's what the topic I was talking I about. It, there. I get it. I get but, it. But um, you know, but and so and and this was exemplified in in the life of our grandfather and and in the life of our father and. Uh, we pray that it'll be said, said of us, and our, see, you know, we pray that it'll be said of us and, and of our children. I, yeah, I don't, there, I don't know; it just happened. Might it be said of us as well? Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a, a Christian life is a life poured out for others, um, self-sacrificing, um, and and leading in and modeling that for other people as well. Yeah, it's a really great connection. I mean, if if Christ died for others, why would we think our death and modeling our lives after Christ would be for anyone else, right? Except for others, right? Our death is not for us, it is for others. And so in death is the opportunity, right, to have that remembrance, is to, is the opportunity to let uh, the life that God had given shine as light to men. And so we have it for others, it's not for ourselves. Because ultimately God is glorified, that's the whole idea, right? In Christ is the first thing. We die in Christ, we die together in community, and we die for others. Number four is literally a restatement of, of point number one. I'm sorry I didn't proofread proof that. 
Yeah, it's really just it's, this is it's, it's just a proof texting of number one. Okay, yeah. Life and death are in Christ. Romans fourteen verse eight. <laughs> if you're taking notes, just uh just put a parenthesis next to point number one. <laughs> Romans fourteen eight says this <laughs> For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Death is in the hand of God, and death is in the hand of Jesus. We are the Lord's. Whether we live or whether we die, that is who we are living for. I love it. I love it when the Bible just repeats itself like multiple times. Just 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 so it sinks in there. Yeah, because we know we're too dumb to hear to get it the first time. Christian be so fickle. <laughs> Christian be so fickle. So fickle. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Number six, one of the things uh that we're gonna have to realize as we live, right, and die as Christians is to kind of get rid of this idea of putting out to pasture. It's not a Christian idea. Jesse, what does that mean? Amen. Amen. Uh, well, when you put something out to pasture, no. um, well, I mean, we, we've been talking, we've been kind of hashing this idea a lot and it, it speaks to the first point of, of how our culture deals with death. We put death far away. And so, I mean, it, working in the emergency department, I, 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 see, I see this all the time, right? We, I, I see people, I see elderly people come from, um, you know, homes and nursing homes or, or other, other places that have family that do not want to be contacted, that have family that don't want any say in the care of, of this person who, who will not come to visit their mother or father in the hospital because they have work the next morning or, or, you you know, like it's, um, it, it's stuff that really makes us as healthcare workers, it makes our blood boil. There, there is a visceral reaction to that. Why? Because, uh, well, I mean, the whole reason that we do what we do is because people matter. And as a Christian, I know that people matter because they're made in the image of God and they have inherent dignity, value, and worth because of that. Um, and, and so, um, you know, and, and so to, to put someone out to pasture is to declare their life essentially useless, worthless, or over. Um, and that's not that's not how God's economy treats uh, elderly people. Um, well, ever. Um, there was this one, if you don't mind, I'll share my heartbreaking story now. Um, oh, no. Cue the music. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Please don't. Um, <laughs> I'm like, wait, will Jaeger do that? <laughs> he, he might. He's a... I'm thinking a melancholy violin. Yeah. Um, so there was a, there was this one time, uh, she, she was not dying, but she was elderly and, um, she, she had been, uh, laying on the ground for hours and hours and hours, which is a, a often a, a position where elderly people will find themselves in that live alone. Um, they fall, they can't get up like the commercial and, um, you know, they're, they're sitting in, in feces or sitting in urine and it's, it's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible thing. But this woman was particularly distraught. She was completely oriented, completely with it. And, uh, I think I was a tech at the time. I think it was before I became a nurse and you know, she just, you know, she started to cry. Right. And we're like, well, what's, what's wrong? Like we're, you know, we'll, we'll help you. We'll get you cleaned up. And she, she just looked at us and she said, she said, I had no idea that as I was raising my children, that this would be where I would end up, that they won't come and help me and that you have to help me. 
and she just started to cry and you know well she's crying i'm like tearing up <laughs> you know it was one of honestly i've i've seen a lot of ish uh in my 9 years working in the er but that was probably honestly one of the most saddest things um that anyone has ever said uh i can i did not think that as i was raising my children this would be the state that i would find myself in she said you think that you're raising your children right and this is how you are. You show up to the ER in an ambulance covered in urine. And some stranger has to help you. And I was, I was like, may, may it never be, Lord. May it never be. Uh, it, it was just absolutely, absolutely devastating. Um, but yeah, we, we put that stuff, that, that's an inconvenience. She was an inconvenience to her family. Um, you know, they can't have a, a, a nice a nice house if they have to take care of of mom and dad. And that's just what what a horrible, disgusting, truly evil way to think. Um, that is the, the pinnacle of selfishness to 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 forsake another human being, especially our mother or father, whom the Bible calls us to honor, um, honor through and through. Um, and so, yeah, tying that back to the idea, you know, we don't put our family, our loved ones out to pasture. We don't, we don't get to remove them from our lives. That's not a, that's not really a biblical option or a biblical category or a biblical framework of how we deal uh, with one another. Um, you know, there's dozens of one another passages in the Bible and uh, leaving them, leaving them somewhere where you don't have to, you know, take care of them isn't isn't really one of the options no it's uh it i would love to i would love i'm not coming up too strong on that i I was just i mean there's trying to state it plainly we're trying to parse the the line between the reality that um i don't possess the ability to handle certain medical conditions uh, and the reality of i also possess the ability to handle to, to help my older loved one through a great many indignities and I should, uh, I should help them through that. And, and so there's a line, there's a hard line there, but, but certainly like to just to, just when you say it, like when you say it and start to think about it, that I would be unwilling to sacrifice the state to which I have been a come, a co- become accustomed living, uh, that I would, that would, I'd be unwilling to sacrifice that for the ability to care for my aging mother like to to think that through that I wouldn't that I wouldn't be willing to sacrifice how I've become accustomed to living the standard to which I am accustomed for for the sake of caring for my elderly father because which one really matters right like make a f- make the sacrifice and and be able to engage that Right and and have having home having home health care having there's so many things we 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 would rather take the entire inheritance and sum total of our of our our elderly loved ones life work and have it be spent on the care of them in their old age as opposed to taking on the inconvenience and allowing what they had they have worked so hard for to be a a gift and joy, as well as the care for them at the end of their life be a gift and joy. Because it's inconvenient and hard. And I think we really need to consider that, Christian. How? What does it look like? And I'm not saying, look, things have already happened in so many people's lives. You're listening to this. Things that you've already had to make hard choices. 
But what we need to do is purpose for the next time. What does the next thing look like? What does the next time look like? We have to make decisions now if we're going to want to live and act in a way that is consistent with how Christ has called us to live. If we're not making those choices now, we will not be ready and we will make the wrong choices when we are in those moments. So this is, it's a reorienting around the fact that there can be dignity, deep, meaningful, lineage, heritage, dignity, and death. So I, I think that's something we need to purpose now and orient it around what God has called us to be, that if death is, if death belongs to Christ, if there is a reality to it, if if the, the death of a saint is precious in the sight of the Lord, then we must not treat it as anything other than those things. Hmm. This is in the sovereign hand of Christ. How then am I serving well Christ in this? And that's a serious it's not just a, a it's not just a, a decision made, right, by what is necessary in this moment. It's more necessary, you know what? A nursing home. It's just easy. It's more. It, I, I can't. I can't sacrifice the time at work. I can't readjust my, my, uh, my, ex, my, my expenses. Right. My budget for the for for our, for our life. I can't. I can't move things. It's just got to be this. This is just the way it's got to be. That shouldn't. It, the expedient answer shouldn't. Shouldn't. Isn't the answer we should just run to? We should consider all things through the lens of scripture. Yeah. Now let's let's back the train up a little bit to before we're dealing with people dying. <laughs> Yeah, I threw this one in as a bonus because it's something that sticks in my crawl. Sticks in my it crawl. Sticks where? Sticks in my crawl. What's that? It's an expression, like if it's something that's like, in a place that you how just do you, can't get to. How do you spell that? I believe it's C R A W L. Like crawl? Yeah. Or K R A W L? I don't know. I'll, I'll Google it. It'll be in the show notes. Okay. It's an idiomatic expression. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Cut right. my face. Uh, okay. I believe you. I'm not Googling it right now. I'm not doing what you do. I immediately have to Google something. <laughs> yeah, we'll just stick, stick, stick it in your crawl. <laughs> He's Googling it. I officially made him too uncomfortable. <laughs> Anyway, so we're going to, while he's Googling it, oh, look, it sticks in my crawl. C-R-A-W. To rankle or irritate one. <laughs> it really sticks in my crawl. There's no L. It's C R A W. Crawl yeah. that he would lie and take all the credit for my idea. All right. Well, verified. Be unable to say something as in I meant to apologize, but the words stuck in my crawl, or be so offensive that one can't tolerate it, as in the, that obscene art exhibit stuck in my throat. Crawl. Oh wow. Early to late sixteen hundreds. I say sixteen hundreds. Wow. Yeah. Thanks. No. I feel like back I'm reading the, back ur- to the old timey urban dictionary. This sticks in my crawl. All right. All right. Uh, and that is retirement. <laughs> and you use it appropriately. I, I'm actually really proud. I'm, I'm smiling. Thanks, right man. That's, that's Thanks, buddy. As much stuff as I make up, every once in a while I say something <laughs> true. <laughs> and it wasn't even inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually when I say something inappropriate, I, I did put it mean it in its proper context. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, yeah. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Uh, retirement is not what you think okay retirement is not what you think um i don't know why (laughs) why we invest so much effort and and wealth into what we consider nothing more than pleasuring ourselves with gray hair i don't understand it that's what we treat retirement as and i just would love for someone in the scripture 
to highlight where the Christian gets to retire. Yeah, chapter verse that for me, just please. Yeah. Because I don't believe that inside of the Christian life there is room for retirement. And I see, in fact, what is what are we called to do as we get older in the church? What, so you mean so you mean when Dave Ramsey says, right now you need to live like no one else, so later on you can live like no one else. Yeah, that's what he says. That's exactly what he says. It's not how he sounds, but it is how it is. What he says. <laughs> well, you know what? You took a swing and a miss last week on. Hey, wait, who did you try to imitate? You don't remember. So oh. Dave Ramsey does say that. No, I believe what his goal is. I, 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 oh. He always has generosity in, in his budgets. I, I do want to say that. I mean, the guy does have a lot of problems. <laughs> Rand Paul, that's who you tried to do. Actually, I went back and listened to it. I don't I think it was the worst Rand Paul. I'm just saying. You know what? Message us and tell us who did it better. Did I do a better Dave Ramsey or did Justin do <laughs> Rand Paul? It really wasn't that bad. I he talks like so a bad. like a slow southern like if, if there was a southern surfer, that's what Rand Paul talks like. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Go back and listen to it. Anyway, uh, so the retirement is not what you think. We do not have an opportunity in the church to retire. What the what what we are called to do as we are older in the church is actually to more engage, particularly with leading those who are young and giving the wisdom to those who are young. What we what we lose as we get older is the ability to have the energy and 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 movement. But what we don't what we gain as we get older is is hopefully we have learned and matured and grown in Christ, and so we use what God has given, right, for his glory. It's not a time, there's, it's not a time to take a bunch of trips and to, to sit back on our laurels and we cruise around and we do all those things we didn't get to do. When but we I was evangelizing younger. the Norwegians while I was there. <laughs> I handed out gospel tracts in Scandinavia. To the sheep. <laughs> and I saw the, saw the whales. It was amazing. Like, that's not, that's not what the Christian call is. The Christian call is to an active faith at all times and that means you need to surround yourself with the community of christ in your old age yep. we're, we're not demonizing vacations by the way no, we're, we're no. just saying that that there is a I'm, proclivity <laughs> towards checking out i'm and, just and, saying retirement shouldn't be a season of vacation <laughs> <laughs> a 20 to 30 year long vacation no that's <laughs> well we're back but we're leaving in three weeks to go on another cruise that, that's not how retirement's that's that's not a, a, I'll see you on deck B, Jerry. <laughs> it's not a kingdom-oriented focus, and, and I think that that well, it is. It's just the kingdom oh, of oh, self. No. Oh, ouch! <laughs> I think Ooh. I think that's the that's part of the problem with death. It's we right in the shuffleboard. We've we've oriented and segmented all these things away from the Christian perspective. Death has no dignity or worth because we see it as something that's too arduous or hard or inconvenient to even address or deal with or see. When God says, no, precious in the sight is the death of my saint. It's it's precious. I, I look on that with eyes that see the precious joy of someone entering into the eternal rest that they have sought with their life. And if that's precious to God, it must be precious to us. And the same is with the latter years of our life. Why have we accumulated interacting with the with the word, with the Lord, through hardship, through struggle, through big decisions, through through the mundane tasks of life, and yet we don't impart to those who are now having to face those things the knowledge God has given to us because we're too busy playing shuffleboard in Aruba. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense to me. Anyway. Well, how dare you have a biblical framework? I apologize. <laughs> Maybe life would be, make more sense if you didn't. <laughs> Maybe life would be much easier 
but much more of a lie if I didn't. <laughs> Ooh. That's how that's how it works. It's easy just to affirm someone's feelings. It's just not true. <laughs> <laughs> I literally uh, almost said that to someone on Facebook today. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, the statistics bear this out. And they're like, well, I don't think so. And I'm like, well, you cannot think so. You're just factually incorrect. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, <laughs> And then and then they, then they went, AOC, this, I would rather be morally right than factually right. Well, you know, as John Rubin once said, you know, ignorance isn't bliss, but ignoring it is. So, <laughs> <laughs> so true. <clears throat> um. <laughs> This brings us to a, a, a quote by Soren Kierkegaard, who said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. And his premise, for, for any of his foibles, uh, this statement brings to light a, an important truth. A, a foible? He foibled this? Yes. No. For any of his personal foibles. Oh, oh, oh. This statement brings to light a, gotcha. a very uh, poignant truth. And the reality is that for those who are in Christ, we live life for the kingdom of God. We live life as citizens of his kingdom. We live life as, as if Christ is our sovereign. Which means with that forward well, because he is. Right. With 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 that with that definition, right, of what life is right at the end, then we can know how to live life now because we know what we're pursuing. So it's easy to understand, right, what is going what has come already and we can know where we're headed if we have a definition for where the end is. And and, and that's how we pursue. We live towards the kingdom of Christ. That means we walk through death as if we're moving towards the kingdom of Christ, just as we walk through life, because life and death are in the sovereign hand of Christ. So so this the encouragement that I hope you were able to find um, in listening to this is a reorientation around the dignity of death, um, because there's nothing more appropriate as we approach Resurrection Sunday, where there is such there is such big hope in resurrection, the resurrection of our Lord, that we should live and die in the hope of resurrection. There is, there, there can be, there can be honor in living a faithful life towards Christ. It is the honor. It is his honor. And there is dignity in dying as a saint in Christ because it's precious in the sight of our Lord. And there is resurrection. There's not retirement. There's resurrection. Resurrection. I mean, honestly, that that definitely beats out any any retirement plan. Resurrection greater than sign retirement plan. Yeah, BlackRock can't touch that that return. Bear beats Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> Vanguard can't beat the Vanguard's returns are nothing on resurrection. I'm just telling you that right now. So what are you investing in? Your 401k? Or are you investing in the lives and community of those who will see you through a dignified death into the open arms of your savior, Jesus Christ. Hmm. And as you walk, walk towards his resurrection Sunday, having a different view of death, making plans to appropriately care for your loved ones as they approach that point and talking and passing on generationally what it looks like to treat someone with dignity and death, particularly as as those who have lived a faithful life towards Christ, for there is nothing greater than to watch them ushered into the kingdom of God. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, that concludes episode 63 of the Carbon Fide Podcast. We hope that you, Christian, have been encouraged to seize the faith. <laughs>